Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are here with the new number one player, number one doubles player in the world, the pride of Texas A&M Aggies, uh, Austin Krychek. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate you for having me. So... I remember being with spending two or three weeks together in the Greenbrier. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, in West Virginia eating the same pizza every day, uh, <laughs> the same court. And first struck me is that oh, this guy's lefty. And that almost exclusively means you gotta play the do side. But it doesn't true, because I've seen you play the ad side and have two backhands up the middle and like, why what are they doing? I'm like, maybe they don't something I don't know, you know what I mean? So first, I want to know: Are you a natural lefty? Because I'm actually left-handed, but I play right-handed. Because- sure. Yeah. I'm, it's a. Uh, I actually have a little bit of a weird uh, situation there. So I, I am mostly naturally lefty. I eat lefty, right lefty, but um, I do a couple of strange things. I I golf righty, which isn't that weird because a lot of players do that with their backhand, mm-hmm. uh, and then bat righty. But I play basketball righty. And I throw small balls. So if I throw a baseball or if I pick up a tennis ball and throw it, I throw it right-handed. But if I throw a football, I throw it left-handed. Oh. That's obviously a bit weird. So I'm pretty ambidextrous, but um, for the most part, left-handed. Yeah, so I, I eat left-handed. I write left-handed. I play tennis right-handed, shoot a basketball right-handed, bat right-handed, everything else. Uh, yeah. I remember my first tennis experiences. I came to the court at seven, seven, eight, you know, seven years old. And I was so bad that the, you know, and a lot of kids don't know if they're right handed or left handed, right? Right. So the guy says, All right, um, you can't, the other one. <laughs> you can't be left handed and you can't be that bad. So <laughs> let's try it with your right hand. And that is how I started playing tennis right handed. And That's I swear, funny. if I was left handed, I'd have been 30% better. 100%. And, you know, I probably would have like went to, you know, I probably would have. Yeah, actually, maybe been a thirty percent better tennis player. Could have made some money, but who knows? Maybe not. Still some, right? You still be uh, playing? Huh? You still be playing on the tour? It's still be playing, right? Yeah, exactly. I never played on tour, but you know, maybe I would at least never play a twenty-five or something. You know? <laughs> um, so you recently won. Uh, so you grew up in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently won the French Open. But before we get to the French Open, I want to go back to Tampa, right? Sure. Uh, did you train at Voluntary IMG? I mean, Tampa, you know, South Florida is like a hotbed for tennis, right? And, but it also can be confusing. I often find that, I was talking to Jimmy Arias about this, when you are a big fish in a small pond, your path is very clear. Everyone pours into you. There's only one or two good coaches anyway. So you're kind of more organized. When you're in Florida, California, there's so many options and you see kids switch coaches, switch academies, move here, move there. And it kind of actually sabotages their career, but it didn't. Sure. So how, how was your junior career navigating the very confusing Florida scene? Right. Yeah, you're right. Um, Florida has just a, a ton of good players, ton of good academies, coaches. 
Um, I was very fortunate uh, from a young age to have a good base. I, I started with Steve Smith when I was younger and and had a good foundation of technique. And and um, I think from there um, was able to work um, luckily with a private coach, Omar Lemina, uh, kind of through the Palmer Academy when they transitioned around a little bit. And uh, so I had a good base of training um, from then until I was about 14 and started having a little bit of success in some junior tournaments in Florida and, and um, just at the state level. And then from there, I got a little um, opportunity to go to IMG at uh, Nick Voluntary's Academy. And, and luckily, I had a, a very good um, you know, foundation there. So going to Voluntary's was great for me at the time because it was uh, match play every day, competition, so many different kinds of players, uh, so many good players. Uh, so you had really no choice but to get better and push yourself and or you get left behind, you know. So it was it was a very, very competitive environment. And, um, you know, with the, the upbringing I had, it, it was uh, great for me. Um, very uh, a unique situation. I mean, we're playing tennis uh, literally from 6.30, we're in the gym, and it's all day until 7 p.m., um, you know, with practice and fitness. And so it takes a unique person, I think, for that to work for. Um, you know, luckily, I, I love the game, and it, it worked out that I had a good group of people around me and support staff. So um, it was great. I improved um, really quickly and, and um, you know, and also traveled with the USTA a little bit there for some junior tournaments and the junior Grand Slams and ITFs and stuff. So I had a good balance of of shifting from my, not just IMG, but also um, with, with a lot of great USTA coaches and, and juniors that obviously you get to know very well over the years traveling together. And um, so, yeah, I kind of jumped around there with those two and then, and then ended up going to college ultimately after that. So was Nikki on the court, you know, did he bring out the yeah. flash fight? Did he, he did. stand behind you and, <laughs> and make you feel like you're going to be number one in the world and make you finish your racket with the flashlight pointing at the coach? Give me a good Nick oh, yeah. Bullitt to the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nick Nick was awesome. I mean, he's always been so nice to me uh, and my mom and dad and ma made us feel special. I think that was one of his amazing traits, you know, he, he'd be out at least uh, at least once or twice a week. We, we'd be on the court with Nick, um, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour. And he always had that uh, that approach where he tell you a couple things and if you hit a couple good shots in a row he'd be like that's it you know that's it we fixed it we we, we, we found the answer and uh you know so he'd give you really for a couple of days that, that you found it until you until you had a bad set or so and then you and then you had to reset but um yeah he's such a positive guy and an incredible speaker i mean really we had some uh some talks with him that he'd get you fired up to run through a wall and there's not not many people in my life that i've met that have that uh, impact on on everybody when they meet them the first time oh yeah uh, I think that was his goal. His goal was like, when, when, yep. you know, every time I would talk to him, he says, when I meet somebody, I want it to be, the, it could be the only time I want to be the most memorable experience possible. Right. When they leave me, they're going to remember this day, that kind of thing. So he was definitely right. a, a motivator uh, and really an innovator in this sport. So, you know, obviously when you think about tennis schools, you know, coming out, you played all the junior slams, you probably had a lot of options. How did you choose Texas A&M? And what was the second option? Yeah. Um, well, growing up in Florida, I've always been a massive uh, Gators fan, University of Florida, um, which means I can't stand Florida State, uh, naturally. But uh, <laughs> so, so I've always been a huge Gators fan growing up. That was, um, uh, you know, a, a dream of mine when I was younger to play there. I had all the football stuff. My whole room was Gators. Um, so, yeah, I was looking at, at several different schools and um, the U University of Florida was obviously one of them. And uh and then that ended up being my second choice. But uh, Coach Denton and Coach McKinley at AM, um, you know, spent a lot of time coming to visit and watch the matches and convinced me to come take a visit out there, which I had heard of Texas AM, but I, I really didn't know much about it except I'd played one 
ITF tournament there, uh, you know, a year and a half or so before that. And, and to be honest, couldn't stand it. It was windy. And <laughs> I was like, oh, man, uh, I, I hate these courts. And so that's the only experience I had there. So I um, was they, they convinced me to come take a visit there and uh, immediately fell in love with um, with the campus, with the team, with the the family spirit. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you maybe know, but the traditions there are just so so strong. They've got so many little things they do and, and they really make you feel like a family right away. So love the team um, and specifically the coaches, I think, are, are the ultimate reason that I ended up picking Texas A&M. Um, you know, Steve and Bob both had done everything that I wanted to do on tennis court. Uh, Steve had won a Grand Slam. He was number two in the world. He made two um, finals, uh, singles Grand Slams in Australia. Um, Bob was top 50. He played on center court Wimbledon. Um, anything that I wanted to do on the court, they had done it in at the time, uh, there wasn't coaching, obviously, in pro tennis, like like there is a little trial now. Uh, so you never really had someone on the court with you during matches. So for me, I thought that'd be a cool experience to to be on the court, to kind of see through their eyes as um, as you're out there during dual matches and during crucial moments and big tournaments. Uh, to have them out there with you was a pretty cool cool thing to experience. Um, and that was ultimately the reason why I picked Texas A&M. Mm. And then you later went on to live in texas right yeah yeah you know, so it's like for a guy that went there and hated the courts ends up <laughs> in school there could live in florida could live in cali tons of other right. options where there's like good sort of professional training set up how did you end up back in texas yes also very i mean from college station compared to tampa um you know very very different places <laughs> to say the <laughs> least but uh, I always joke here that uh, seeing as I went to to AM, I felt like an adopted Texan almost immediately. Um, you know, I grew up in Florida where, you know, most of us was around tennis and stuff my my childhood. So I didn't hunt or fish or, you know, do that that whole thing. And and uh in coming to school in Texas, I was resistant to country music at, at the initial uh <laughs> arrival. But um, you know, it, it's kind of great. You hear a song or two, it grows on you a little bit, you play it in the car, and then next thing you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh one of my roommates who's still uh my my best friend to this day, Austin Clores, and we were on the team together and he uh we lived together and he's from a small town uh pretty close to College Station that um we went over there and, and fished a little bit and and um, went hunting a few times and just something I'd never done before and and really fell in love with with that and being in nature and, and kind of getting away, getting off the grid. Obviously, we travel so much in tennis. It's so hectic and you're in big cities and stuff. It's really cool for me to kind of be in the woods and just kind of be out alone and, and have the quiet. So I enjoyed that. And then I just really fell in love with the people too. Um, people are so friendly. Um, in Texas, it's it's almost like like nothing else. I always joke in, in Florida, or actually, I lived in LA for a little bit after school training at the, the um uh, USTA Center in Carson. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you wave to someone in California or Florida, they always give you that, you know, what do you want? Look right. <laughs> in Texas, you know, they wave back and it's kind of a unique, <laughs> a unique place where you can trust your neighbor a little bit. And it's really, um, you know, I, I love the the Southern hospitality feel and it's, it's really grown on me a lot. And, and uh, I feel like um, I'm at home in Texas. So you go to Texas A&M and you win a doubles NCAA title. Not a single yep. NCAA title. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always lend itself to, I'm going to go turn pro, right? You see players who win NCAAs in singles that don't turn pro and don't pan out. Like Ethan Quinn now, right? Freshman, sure. just won singles. He probably will have a, probably a pretty decent pro career. But mm -hmm. winning doubles title, it still could be a gamble. You know, it's like, eh, do I try it? So what, what was your thought process in leaving school, trying to hand out a tour? Because you got to 94 in the world as a singles player. Right? right. So 
who's who looked at you and said, you can make it, right? Did IMG give you a check? Sometimes <laughs> IMG makes you feel like you can make it or like, like an agency will come <laughs> and be like, yo, right. we'll give you an advance of X amount of dollars. And that's a good indication like, oh, shit, well, I probably can make it. Otherwise they wouldn't be giving me the money. What made you think that you can make it? Or did you just say, you know, I'm just gonna give it a try. I can always go back and get a job. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely didn't <laughs> didn't get that check <laughs> to make me believe it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think as a young kid, it was always my goal to play professional tennis and, and be on the tour. Um, so I always had that kind of belief that, or at least that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I thought, you know, at a young age that I could, I had, you know, a few points before I went to school and maybe send me to future. And so I, I thought I could, you know, make a run at it at least. And it was always a goal of mine to play. It wasn't really like an option. Like I wouldn't give it a shot. Um, so, you know, when I decided to go to school and not turn pro initially, uh, like I mentioned, you know, coach Denton and McKinley having all the experience they had on the pro tour, that's one of the main reasons I went there was to be able to transition my skill set from juniors to college to pro. And uh, so it was always a goal of mine to play after. So, um, you know, playing throughout school, we always play pro tournaments in the summer and um, and had a, a little bit of success there, winning some matches and futures and challengers. And so after, yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to go pro. So I played all four seasons, all four years of my eligibility at Texas A&M and, um, and then turned pro. And, uh, you know, like expected, I mean, obviously going from a university like Texas A&M that has insane facilities, um, you know, an unbelievable support staff, you've got a full team around you. It's a little bit unrealistic uh, transitioning into the futures tour from that from that scene. Um, so it, it, that's always a wake up call, but I knew what to expect, obviously playing futures before school and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's a couple years of a grind. I mean, you just got to put your head down. And I traveled to to all kinds of places to play play these tournaments and try to try to move up the rankings and uh had success in singles and then in that era I, I actually was back in florida a little bit at Soderbrook and img after after college and then moved out to california to work at carson with steven armitrage mm -hmm. and um to be honest on the tour steven was one of the first coaches that that truly sat me down and, and said i believe in you dude i think you can do it i know you can be top 100 and, uh, you know, that, that really stuck with me because it was one of the first coaches that really got through to me to say that you, you can't, you can do it. You know, you got to work. I mean, things are gonna have to go your way. You're gonna have to work hard, but you can do it. And, um, you know, from there we worked really hard, played a smart schedule. Uh, Steven is, is, uh, an unbelievable coach. He had me doing some different things I hadn't done in college and, um, uh, it clicked a little bit. And then, and then I had some good results, uh, quartered a couple two fifties and qualified in Miami, had a good Acapulco and then, um, and I qualified and quartered in a 500 in Tokyo. And that's when I, when I got to the top hundred for the first time. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment and an experience for me. Obviously I had had more success, you know, a little bit in doubles uh, throughout college, obviously winning in CAs and doubles and, and not in singles. So it was pretty cool to be able to, to make that breakthrough in singles first and, um, and experience that side of things. It was, it was awesome. So you get to 94 in the world. Yep. And then at what point did you say, I'm just going to play doubles? Was it like a match? Because sometimes, you know, you, you get guys who they'll play tour, they might get a little old, mobility kind of challenges, right, or an injury, and they say, all right, I'm just going to play half the court, right? And I'll right. play doubles. Uh, right. You know, me and Zach always joke about half court tennis, right? You know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah. Or sometimes you get your clock cleaned and you're like, eh, I'm just going to focus on doubles. But at 94 in the world, you're getting into all the slams, <laughs> right? You're like right outside of the premier fives. What made you say, I'm going to focus on doubles? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a journey there. Um, 
I had some some weird injuries, an ankle thing, and and a probably a, a bad racket switch at the time. Um, and so my ranking slipped just a bit, where I was kind of in the range of uh, you know two fifty to three hundred, which which as you know is just outside of Grand Slam qualies uh, for singles. And um, and you kind of have to make a decision at that time. I think I was still hanging around sixty or so in doubles, and I was I was playing doubles at the time, and. And, you know, I, I kind of always knew my skill set was probably tailored a little bit more towards doubles. Like I like to come forward, I you know, left-handed, I serve in Bali. So, you know, it's a little bit more um, tailored for doubles. And, and I've had, you know, a little bit better results in doubles throughout college and stuff. So that was always an option, you know, in the back of my head. And, and I think at that point I had to kind of decide whether I was going to drop back and play some more challengers and futures again and try to make that that grind upwards in some of those crazy places and so forth and, mm-hmm. and obviously not making a lot of money. Or I could try to play doubles and and I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, I could in singles, if if everything went well and, and I was playing great again, got some good draws, all, all these all these things go your way. And then maybe I can go back to the top hundred again or make a push a little higher. But I thought that I could make an impact in doubles where, hey, I think I can be um, you know, have a chance at some of these grand slams and have a chance at these bigger tournaments and make a push towards top ten. And and I had some other goals then that maybe I can be make an impact there in doubles and um and that led to me. I stuck out singles a little bit longer, actually, after that, and then, um, and then, kind of didn't didn't enjoy it anymore uh, on the single side of things. Started really um, not having as much fun on the court and not enjoying being out there. And I think from that point, I said, okay, if if I want to keep playing, it's going to be in doubles. And uh, I had a few strange results that summer, and then tennis. Uh, Sandgren and I made quarters of um, U.S. Open that year in doubles, and I decided, okay, I. I found the love there for that. And I, I really feel like I want to focus on that side of it. Really cool. So then yeah. you're 60 in the world in doubles, right? And mm-hmm. at that point, who was your dream partner? Because the doubles gets a little bit tricky when you do the combined rankings, right? Sure. Yeah. So you got to yeah. kind of choose a partner based on, okay, who can I get in with, right? Whose ranking can I kind of exactly. like piggyback off of to sort of jumpstart this career, right? So you might play with some people you really don't want to play with, right? Because the rankings are kind sure. of aligned. And then, the whole time you're like working your way up to damn, I wish I could play with Bob and Mike Bryant. You know what I mean? Like, who was your dream? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you said it. Yeah, I mean, th- those, I mean, Bob and Mike have been a huge, uh, you know, idols for me for the longest time. I've, I've known them forever. I've been uh, practice partner at Davis Cup three times, you know, when the when the Bryants were on the team and rented from Mike in Tampa for a while. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close to them, practice with them at all the slams and stuff. So obviously, you know, they would be, I would, pretty good definition of a dream partner um but you know what made them uh, another reason they were so successful is there was no chance that they were you know going to split up so I mean, that was <laughs> never really an option uh for me but you know i mean like you said doubles does add another drama element to it you got to play with someone else and, and a lot of times you're spending more time with that person than your significant other so you got to get along with them um you know on the court off the court uh you know anyone can get along when you're winning but when you're when you're struggling and losing and having some of those tough stretches that's what really makes a difference of the teams that stick together and do well um but at the beginning you know you're really just trying to play the ranking game get in these tournaments and and um you know give yourself an opportunity to beat some of these top teams because you can't you know, you can't beat them if you can't play them. And, uh, you know, a lot of times doubles is, is a bit of a tricky ranking system because it's top heavy. So if you can't get in these tournaments, you know, how are you going to move up? You, you really can't make that jump. So, you know, you have to kind of play the game there for a little bit. And I was jumping around. I mean, luckily I have, you know, a lot of good from playing so long. I had a lot of good friends. Tennis is one of my best friends on tour. And, um, you know, he was doing extremely well uh, in singles and, and, you know, it worked out. We could play some of those grand slam tournaments together. Um, and then, you know, Stevie Johnson is also one of my, one of my great friends and, 
Uh, we had a couple of good tournaments together as well in 2021. And so, yeah, you just, you're trying to find, you know, guys that you can uh, get in tournaments with and, and guys that you think kind of mesh well with your style of game. And sometimes that comes, comes, you know, a second fiddle to getting in, but you know, it's just one of those things where you got to play the game a little bit in doubles. It, it's tough. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. So speaking of playing the game, you know, we host live tournaments here in Chicago. How often did you pull the trick of me and my partner going to share a room? We'll use his three guaranteed nights in the hotel on the front end. And I'll use my three. I mean, for all those that are listening, right? You know, let's say a doubles, uh, doubles team, you get three guaranteed nights in the hotel, right? Win or lose. And sometimes the players say, oh, we're going to use her three nights on the front end if we lose my three nights on the back end because we got a little more time when we go to the next tournament. And the tournament uh, promoter, you're like, damn, I got to keep having this hotel room, even though they're out to draw. How often did you pull that trick? Yeah, I wish I could have pulled that trick because back in the day, we didn't get hotel rooms at, at, at the tournament. We had to, <laughs> especially challengers in the States, we luckily for us, we had uh, housing was, was very popular at the time. So we get um, help from, from a lot of these families at tournaments, which was amazing for us to be able to stay in a home and have a home cooked meal and stuff. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't get to pull that trick, um, very often, unfortunately, you know, it, it still makes it tough because a lot of times that, you know, you only get two rooms, uh, or two nights guaranteed at a tournament, um, if you get there Saturday and play Monday. So, you know, it makes it difficult, uh, for us. I mean, the expenses obviously are high at all these, uh, in all these cities that we play now. So, uh, you know, that, that's part of it. I mean, I know a lot of sports have a lot of the expenses covered, but that's what makes kind of one of the things that makes tennis uh, interesting and, and difficult is, uh, you know, if you're winning, your hotel's covered, but as soon as you lose, it's not. And then all of the flights, all of the expenses, you know, everything, coaching, everything is is on your dime. So, you know, it's an extremely tough sport to make a living. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a long, a long road to say the least there. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because your role just became historic, right? But before we go there, <laughs> Uh, tell me the tell me the thought process when you see when you see double specialists play singles singles players. So like mm-hmm. you know, let's just say like you know a Rublev play with Ivachka or you know Falmini right. play with anybody else, and you got like okay, individually those guys can beat both of us, right? And on a mm-hmm. different level, but together we can still beat them because they don't play doubles, they don't practice this, they don't focus on returns so much in practice, they don't cross, they don't do this. What is the logic? Because as a, you know, the common fan is looking at Krychik and Dodik and they're going to play whatever, Rublev and whoever, right? And then the mm-hmm. better start coming in. They're like, oh, we're going to bet on Rublev and whoever else. You know what I mean? But they right. don't know it's like a different kind of art. So what's the thought yeah. when you play two I mean, for us, it is different. I mean, completely different. Um, but like you said, I think doubles is is a very different mindset in practice it's a lot more specific um we do work on specific situations a lot more so we're, we're in that every day i mean we're hitting these tough first volleys these these tough movements and guys hitting big returns so i mean it's not necessarily um uh, i mean the level is it's a different skill set i would say more so so these guys play a different way they might 
you know, hit the ball better and play better baseline games and stuff like that and singles points. But, uh, you know, the doubles tactics and stuff, I think it does make it more difficult for, for singles guys to hit, you know, returns through the middle or, or across where they usually have a lot of space to play where mm-hmm. we can kind of get in, in their face a little bit and make, you know, make it just a little bit more uncomfortable and different. So, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, those guys are just extremely talented and makes it difficult to play for us. Um, but, you know, we try to take care of our side of the court and if we serve well and execute our patterns the right way, um, you know, a lot of times we can put them in situations where they're more uncomfortable and, and um, you know, they're not used to hitting the volleys straight off returns, you know, so like, you know, we can you know change our patterns a little bit to, to try to play our strengths more than, than theirs. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not that it's easier or harder to play the singles guys. It's just a bit different and your tactics change just, just a little for sure. So how do you choose partners? I mean, like now, right? So now mm-hmm. obviously it's different. You're number one in the world. Now you play with several partners and sometimes we see doubles players have a decent year together and all of a sudden switch. Right. Is it like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of sharing a room with this guy. Right. Or I'm kind of like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, definitely. Some results. I think I can play. Or, or we're just like, you know what? I just want to keep it fresh. Tell me the logic because we see so much movement. Um, right. And look, semis here, semis here, semis here. That's still a good result for a year. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, only. Well, there's a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of things you said there. I mean, the, I mean, one, what makes tennis, another aspect that makes tennis unique is unless you're, you know, the Bryans or Roger Federer, or Novak, or, or Carlos Alcaraz now who wins a good bit of the tournaments they play most people, you know, 99.9% of players, you pretty much lose every week. And if you have an unbelievable year, you might have two weeks where you don't lose, you know, you, you win the tournament, but for the most part, you you have to deal with losing almost every week. So it's strange in, in the aspect that you can have, like for us, for example, last year at French open, the best week of your career by miles. Um, and then, you know, you're on such a high going into the finals and everything's great. And then two and a half hours later, you're completely devastated. And, uh, you know, you lose the, uh, obviously a tough match, but it's, you know, complete, um, just, just a really, a, a, a tough feeling. Um, and that you have to deal with every single week. So you have to deal with losing a lot, um, in, in all in singles and doubles, but as far as picking a partner, I mean, I would say, you know, ideally um you'd want to have the same guy all the time because you get to know each other better and that's a goal from the time that you're you know ranked 500 not necessarily just once you get to the top 10 or whatever it may be um but like i said you do spend a lot of time with these people so you know you're uh you're with them all the time i mean more than your your wife or or, or whatever it is and in you know that that can get difficult at times and, and when you're losing every week um except for a couple uh, you do have to deal with those losses and your the way you prepare for practice, the way you prepare for matches, the way you move on from those losses and, and transition surfaces. And, you know, you're, I mean, just a little thing from the kind of restaurants you like to eat to the, the way that you like to structure your training weeks, you know, in off time. And if you like to get to tournaments early or not, or if you like to play the European swing or the North American swing or whatever it may be, there's so many variables there that come into play with partners where you're making a decision together and, that's difficult sometimes, you know, you, you, you butt heads and, and uh, don't get along. So I think that's a big part of it. I think, you know, one of the reasons Yvonne and I click well is one on the tennis aspect. I mean, Yvonne's obviously one of the best returners of all time and, and uh, just an incredible career, but, you know, I think we both like to play aggressive style. We both like to come forward. We both like to move a lot of the net and, and um, play aggressive doubles. 
So we click in that regard. I think our mentalities of, of how we approach um, practice and when things don't go well, we both like to work harder um, and we both err on the side of doing too much always. Um, that's always been kind of a weakness of mine. So, you know, I think we see eye to eye in that regard and then our teams get along as well. You know, so it's worked out well for us that we've um, kind of uh, connected in that in that fashion. And that's honestly a lot rarer than you would imagine um, when you get into the, you, you just think, oh, you know, it'd be buddies and it's all good. But after a couple of years of playing, you know, with, with someone and you, you know, you're, it's your livelihood, you know, you're trying to pay the bills and, and feed your family and stuff. So, you know, the, those little decisions become bigger when, when all that stuff gets on the table, you know, so it's difficult. So last year, French Open final, three match points. And, yes. you know, obviously you don't get a lot of opportunities to get to the final of a Grand Slam where the draw lines up, the matches line up, you don't get food poisoning, you don't get sick. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it just, right. so many things have to come together to go there, right? You probably were down match points in other matches, right? Yep. Somebody double fault or choke volley or whatever it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you recover? Or what do you think cost you those three match points, right? Because some of it like, you know what? We just got too tight. It was our first mm -hmm. time. We just got tight, right? Blue to return. Or we panic and cross to her too soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or we just stay. Like, wh what is it like to be there, Grand Slam final, and in doubles, should I go or should I stay? I'm just going to go mm -hmm. for it, right? You know, what was the thought process that you think cost you the match? Yeah, I mean, that's just, and I think the longer I play, the more you realize, like you said, how scarce those opportunities are. And it does come around very often. And it's so hard to play good two weeks and like I said, stay healthy two weeks and everything go right for two weeks to get to that moment. And then to get there and and lose with the three championship points is uh it's devastating. I mean, it is really a difficult um situation to handle. And I think looking back on it though, I think we needed that. I think it's a good experience. I mean, Yvonne may argue that he didn't need it because he's already had the experience <laughs> a lot of times. Like and, like, and, I need uh, that check. But, I didn't need that yeah, loss. He's like, I don't need that. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's uh, for me, you know, um, I think it, it was my first situation uh, like that. So, you know, it's one of those things you got to, you got to try to look at on a positive and, and learn from it. If that's way easier said than done. But yeah, I still remember all the points like, like it was yesterday. And it's one of those things that where, yeah, you, you think you can you know, move on. And obviously we were able to recover luckily this year. Um, but yeah, I still think about those, you know, and it's one of the cool things getting to know the Bryans um, as well as we have, uh, we were talking about that with Bob in Miami and, and, you know, those guys have won more tournaments than, than everybody uh, yeah. by a long shot. Uh, so to hear them talk about, man, you know, this final in Wimbledon and, in 2011 we had this shot and we didn't move on this and he like remembers the points there's like crazy detail you know and it's like gosh even even they're thinking about that stuff so it gives you a little bit of okay you know maybe it's not it's not as big of a deal for me but yeah i remember all the points that at one of the match points i i uh even hit a return cross and and i moved probably a little bit early uh trying to do the aggressive thing which is usually um what a lot of better doubles players try to do um and i got burned line and and i still think about that move uh all the time <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not something not something you forget and, and luckily um you know a couple of days ago it made that memory a little bit easier but uh yeah. but i'm still still thinking about it <laughs> so, so now so, so how long did you to get over was it like man i'm gonna go in my room and like never come not come out for like three or four days right you know what i mean like how right. long did you get over it yeah, that's always the initial thought. Of, of course, um, you know, we were obviously in the locker room after pretty devastated. And yeah, you just sit there for 
you know, an hour or so and just kind of think and, um, and let it all sink in. And luckily, I mean, our, our support staff, our team is fantastic. So, you know, having your coach there, Philip being there, I mean, it, that is, is everything. So, and my wife was there as well. So it was, you know, you sit there, but at the same time, you know, like I said, it, it was the best week of our career. So you got to keep that in mind as well. And, and Yvonne being as experienced as he was, you know, he was, he was great about it. And, um, you know, we chatted, you know, within an hour or so and, and, um, tried to, to put it behind us, but it's tough. I mean, we, we, we definitely, we flew home, um, the next day as well and had a couple of days to kind of let it sink in at home and just try to put it out of your mind. But the good thing and the bad thing about tennis is, you know, no matter what happens last week, you've literally got another tournament next week. So in that regard, it's, it's awesome because, uh, Hey, we got another tournament next week. And once Monday starts, that tournament's going and you're playing another match and, you know, you try to put it out of your mind at that point, obviously, because you're, you're competing. So, you know, that helps move on is just to keep playing. And we obviously took a lot of positives from that and, and had some confidence and momentum and went to um, Halle last year and had a great tournament there making semis and, and then losing another devastating Thursday tiebreaker in that semis. But, you know, you, you, uh, you go on and, and, uh, and compete and, and, you know, the good and bad side of that is the bad side when you have a great tournament, you know, next Monday you're competing again as well. So you got to move on and um, you just try to look back and take, take the positives from it. And, and I think I mentioned that earlier. I think, you know, obviously at that moment it was brutal, but looking back on it, I think that was a lesson that we needed that I needed. And um, I think we got better from it ultimately. And it helped us prepare for the fall when we were able to um, qualify for the year end tournament in Turin and, and some of the big matches we played later in the fall and center courts and, and so forth that, um, you know, you're just a little bit more prepared each time. And I think it also helped us going into the tier defense and, knowing what to expect going out there on, on Philip Chatry, a court like that for the finals in a moment that's that big, you're just a little bit more prepared each time. It's one of those experiences that you can, someone can explain to you and tell you, and you know, this and that, but until you go through it yourself, it's really hard to kind of put that experience into words. So you won a French Open this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Major, major milestone. You also won Monte Carlo this year. So like, you know, I didn't really think that, Play court really made a difference in doubles. Right. You're not moving yeah. as much. You're not sliding. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. Clearly, you can play doubles on clay, right? Um, <laughs> so, but there's also during a slam, everyone slam run. If you watch the entire tournament, there's one or two matches where it almost didn't happen. Sure, always. Right. I can remember like matches as it come. Like we almost lost it here. Right. Definitely. Name a match this tournament where it was like the turning point. Like okay, we. We got through this one, and then it was like you know we, but it could have it could have went bad on this one. Well, I wouldn't say it was a turning point because it was the first first round, but uh, <laughs> we were and down sometimes three one. Sometimes it's that. Yeah, sometimes it's that. Be. But I would you know I, I would like to say that a turning point would mean then we started playing great and we won the next match easier, <laughs> and we didn't. But uh, but yeah, we we were down three one a break in the third set in the first round. Um, and we were able to find a way we, we weren't playing our best tennis. Um, you know, that's one of the things about all sports. Um, you know, there's only a certain amount of days, the, the Paul Anacone mindset where there's a certain amount of days where you play unbelievable, certain amount of days you play terrible in the middle is where 90% of it is. And that's what makes, you know, a good player or a great player and being able to find a way when you're not feeling your best and playing your best tennis is what it's all about. So we, you know, we were able to, to kind of dig deep and play some good points. And then we ended up playing a great Thursday tiebreaker. And um, I thought that one was a good momentum to be like, hey, we, we got through it. We got that tough one out of the way because 
you always, I mean, there's no grand slam except maybe I'm sure the Bryans had some, but where you just kind of roll through the draw right. and beat everybody pretty badly. You're, there's always going to be a tough match, three sets, down match points, some weird situation where you're not feeling well, the weather's bad, it's windy, whatever. And, um, you know, that happened first round for us this week and then, and then, <laughs> or last week. And then we had another tough match, you know, immediately after that. Uh, and then, um, yeah, in the third round, we were also had a brutal third set match and then another three hour match in the quarters, um, w- with a couple of German guys that were playing fantastic. So, you know, that, that makes, they were all tough, but I think that first round this year was one that we were like, okay, you know, if we, we created through that one where we really weren't playing great and yeah. uh, we're able to find a way and, and, um, get some momentum going into the rest of the tournament. Yeah. I mean, I remember 2018 was slow on Miami. You know, first round playing Monica Nicolescu and like down the set in like two breaks. And then Nicolescu gets <laughs> oh, injured. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, and oh, then wow. like Nicolescu gets injured and then Sloan wins Miami. You know what I mean? Then she goes on and plays wow. four Grand Slam champions in a row and beats all of them, but almost lost to Nicolescu. Right. So like right. in my mind, that's what I mean. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it almost didn't Absolutely. happen. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And sometimes it's in the first round. So congratulations. So, now you're number one in the world and you think about doubles players and you all have the opportunity like Dodic, right to have very long careers right because it's theoretically it's not as taxing on your body although i will say you guys practice way more than singles players i mean like we always joke like damn they were just practicing this morning and now they're doing it like for the third like like james saratani or nick nick monroe like, like three four times a day i'm like you like practice more than you play. You know what I mean? But you, <laughs> <Sure>. but, <laughs> yeah. but you do have, and I think the doubles players love it, right? You see the guys that are grinding on doubles tour, taking sure. half the check, right? You guys love it. But you have the opportunity to play a long time. So at 32, you look at the Bryan brothers, you still probably got 10 more years in you. Is that, is that what, what the plan? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think now with, with how everyone's doing a better job with, with nutrition and physical and having physios and and taking care of your body better, you can play longer. Uh, no doubt about that. Even on the single side, as, as I mean, Roger obviously proved, um, and Novak continues to prove with his, you know, with his play. But you know, I think a lot of it now is mental burnout. I mean, from the travel, and uh, obviously, it's a very difficult situation to have a, a normal family style life. I mean, you're you're gone all the time, and um, so I think guys get tired of that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. We're, um, we're playing great. Uh, physically, I feel great. So, yeah, there's no reason why I can't play for, for several more years. Um, you know, there's no time limit you put on it. You just kind of uh, try to take advantage of what's in front of you and, and um, play the best tennis you can for as long as you can. So I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying, you know, where we're at as a team. And I think there's a lot of upside for us. And, and uh, we'll continue to keep trying to get better, I think, you know. The goal is always to get better, and there's always, you know, a hundred things I can think of right now to tell you that I could do better. So there's there's always room for upside, and and I'll continue to try to push that push the envelope there. So tennis players are very practical, practical mm-hmm. spenders, right? I remember like Sam Curry would always pull up to Carson in his Volvo truck. You know what I mean? It was like, you got to go <laughs> right? Uh, yep. But when you win a slam, sometimes you got to treat yourself. So what, what, what is the splurge or is there a splurge that you're like, damn, I always wanted this and now I'm just going to go ahead and get it, right? What, what is the splurge that is on your mind, whether you pull the trigger yet or not, that you want to get after the win last week? Yeah, I mean, that's tough to say. I mean, for me, honestly, um, you know, I'm not too much you know, into that, that, that kind of thing. I would say we, um, we like uh, – my coach and I, we, we like uh, good bourbons, um, kind of rare bourbons. So there, there's maybe a bottle or two that we're eyeing that um, 
uh, <laughs> through one of our good buddies that we, we could buy a good bottle of bourbon to enjoy. But um, for the most part, you know, I mean, we're just, I'm trying to focus on the, on the grass court season, which starts literally on Friday. So uh, I haven't had a chance to really sit down and think about that. We, um, you know, it was just good to get home with a family on Sunday and celebrate with my wife and mom and dad and, and our, t- and our two dogs. So, um, <laughs> I don't have anything in mind, you know, maybe, maybe something for them would, would actually make me feel better. So <laughs> when you, when you, after the grass court season, you got about a month in the state, two months in the States. Maybe I'll think about yeah. it. Yeah. Find, find something to spend some money on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well man i appreciate your time i want to congratulate you it was always fun seeing you always pleasant like i said always practicing you know what i mean like we practice once a day you guys practice three times a day you know what i mean it was kind of like (laughs) those dudes love tennis right and it's great to see people who love what they do get what they want out of it you know what i mean so congratulations man i want to thank you for coming on the show uh always rooting for a a natural lefty you know what i mean i still feel lefty uh And, uh, you know, congrats. Good luck with the grass. Appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. Thank you, everybody. This has been a Tennis.com podcast with Austin Krychek, the new 2023 French Open Grand Slam champion.